Halloween is basically fully outlawed here. Like we Ooh. can't even put out candy for people to take. Really? Yeah. So we are now eating all of our Halloween candy. Oh no. <laughs> and here come the cavities. Yeah. Well, I don't have very good teeth to begin with, just like genetically, which is annoying. But uh, yeah, so I've been eating a lot of Starbursts and they're so good. <laughs> <laughs> they can't stop. Uh, favorite Starburst? Red. Cherry. Mm. By far. Uh, it's pink. not Nyx either, but it's great. <laughs> it's like the... Uh, the olive thing in How I Met Your Mother oh. means I get the red Starburst. <laughs> I, I love that, that episode. Um, no, reds are a close second. For me, it's the pinks. Pink is good. That's my second, probably. No, it's just, it has to be the pinks. And I think, I think least favorite is orange. Yeah, I think so. friends future jenna here jumping in once again with our trigger warnings so these are just going to be for the book we are discussing but there are some pretty serious ones so just bear with me just one moment here in this book there are some pretty uh in-depth discussions on kidnapping murder gun violence mistreatment and injury to children including hitting, electrocution, drowning, all of those really crazy types of things, as well as discussion and description of suicide and description of torture. So if any of those are going to be triggering for you, again, I know those are some pretty intense ones. Please keep that in mind. And if this is not going to be the episode for you, maybe skip this one. But if you are going to be okay with those, or if you've already read the book, then let's jump on into the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our book club style podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dana. And I'm Jenna. Two high school friends reconnecting for the joys of reading. Now, our tastes and opinions on what is a good book may vary, but sometimes, sometimes we just might be on the same page. Now, let's find out if we are. Yes, and welcome back. Welcome to our book discussion for the month of October. I remembered what month it was this time. <laughs> Doesn't usually happen. <laughs> um, warning for anyone listening, my brain today is just not all there. Uh, <laughs> but before we get into our big discussion for the month of October, Dana, go ahead. Looks like you're all ready. Start us off with what you're drinking. So, sorry, YouTubers. Um, yeah, so because <laughs> we had joked that we were definitely both going to be set on alcohol today. And then I started with just a coffee because I actually had to get up really early to finish the book this morning. Shocking I was to I was nobody. Not because of that. I was actually just having a hard time reading this one. We'll get more into it. Um, but then Jenna looked at me and was like, I have wine. You're getting something. So I went in the fridge. And <laughs> well, it wasn't that. I said, I have <laughs> the largest glass of wine. <laughs> and if I had just my coffee, it, it would have just looked... It's um, like... Um, what is that gif? I want to say it's uh, Amy Poehler or someone, but it's a gif of someone with like just a giant a wine glass, giant <laughs> glass of wine, like a small child size wine right. glass, like lifting it up. So uh, I was prepared to look like that, basically, if you just had coffee. <laughs> yeah. So I had, uh, I have now a cherry cider. It is 
Teton or Titan Cider Works, Washington State brand. Steak, state brand. Um, We're both and, very tired. <laughs> yes, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have the energy for this episode. We're definitely both going to have so much fun talking about this book. Um, but it was just the fact that I stayed up till 2.30 in the morning trying to finish it, started to fall asleep near the climax. So then I told myself to get up early just to finish at home. I got done about an hour before our recording. He did. Yes. I was keeping tabs on him while I was working this morning. I, I will say she was happily surprised when I said I'm in the home stretch. She goes, how many pages? 100, 150. And I said, 57. She goes, good. I did. Cause I was ready to like slap you silly. Basically. <laughs> I, I was, I, I was ready. No, so I was, I was, I was impressed. I was a hundred and like 15 <laughs> pages at seven 30 this morning, finished about noon. Gotcha. Hmm. And then we've already discussed, but I oh. have red wine today. I've Ooh. worked on making the switch for uh, autumn and winter. Uh, it's still much too hot for me to be drinking red wine, but my husband turned down the AC for me because I just, I really wanted my red blend today. <laughs> so I'm actually, I'm very on theme for spooky season. I want to share. I have red wine. I don't know if you'll be able to see it but it, it's from, it's in a Witch Creek winery uh, <laughs> class. So it has a cute little black cat on it. And I like the poor line with the cat. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And then my shirt, stand up a little bit so you can see, but it says, it says, which way to the wine? Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's spelled witch like W-I-T-C-H. And it has a cute little witch on a broomstick. So I am ready for Halloween. <laughs> All right, so... Do you want to start us off reading the back cover and then I'll talk about the publication info? Yeah, I'll read it again. So uh, if people don't remember, for October read, it was Stephen King's The Institute, his his 2019 big novel. Um, I guess I can do the pub info first. I usually do. I just we're going a little out of order. Uh, (laughs) So like he just said, this month we read The Institute by Stephen King. can hold it up here. For those of you who can see it, the cover looks like this. It is a very pretty cover. I do love it. It is beautiful. I love the color scheme. It's kind of a um, like jewel tone type color scheme, and which I think I is really pretty. I don't know if it's there for the paperback, but on the slip cover for the hardcover, it kind of has like a holographic shimmer to it. Oh, so, nice. So on, it really shines. On the his name, it does a little bit, but not a oh, ton. Okay. Um, but for those of you who can't see it, it is basically... Uh, a night sky, nice like red, purple, beautiful looking with a box car right in the middle that inside the box car, it's set up to look like a bedroom and outside of the window, it looks like daytime. Mm-hmm. So it's really crazy looking and sitting on the bed is a little boy. This is the first time I've really focused on the cover, even now after reading it. And now it's just all hitting me back. I was just like, oh, yeah. now this all makes so much more sense. And the, the I love thematics... doing that when I'm reading a book, like trying yeah. to go back and figure out see it all now where the cover kind of ties in with things. Um, that's just a weird behind <laughs> the scenes thing into my mind when I'm reading a book. Uh, but this one is published by Gallery Books. And then, like Dana said, it was initially published in 2019, just last year. And then I had the paperback, you can see. So this one was just released this year, 2020. And my paperback copy had 576 pages. And mine was 557 on the hardcover, 
which uh and 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 then we did we figure out i don't think maybe there was anything extra was there anything extra in the back of your there wasn't uh if you listen to our check-in when we were talking about it excuse me initially i was saying that maybe when they re-released it as a paperback they had put uh discussion topics or book club questions or something like that in the back sometimes when a publishing company is re-releasing a book they will do that they didn't it's probably just because I mean if you just look at the size like compared to my hand it's a smaller size than yours yeah, so it just may be and so it's probably just there was more like run on to next pages and things like that yeah so let's go into the flap in the middle of the night in a house on a quiet street in suburban Minneapolis, intruders silently murder Luke Ellis's parents and load him into a black SUV. The operation takes less than two minutes. Luke will wake up at the Institute in a room that looks just like his own, except there's no window. And outside his door are other doors, behind which are other kids with special talents, telekinesis and telepathy, who got to this place the same way Luke did. Kalisha, Nick, George, Iris, and the youngest of them, 10-year-old Avery Dixon. They are all in front half. Others, Luke learns, graduate to back half. Like the Roach Motel, Kalisha says, kids check in, but they don't check out. In this most sinister of institutions, the director, Mrs. Sigsby, and her staff are ruthlessly dedicated to extracting from these children the force of their uh, extra-normal gifts. There are no scruples here. If you go along, you get tokens for the vending machines. If you don't, punishment is brutal. As each new victim disappears to back half, Luke becomes more and more desperate to get out and get help. But no one has ever escaped from the Institute. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, so we talked about it at length in our check-in episode, but do you want to kind of give a Sparknotes type length yeah. version of why we chose this one? Uh, yeah, we chose it because obviously for October, we wanted something horror or darker themed uh we had settled on one book but i kind of thought maybe let's try something that i thought personally matched more with the theme so i suggested stephen king's the institute because one i had it and two i hadn't yet read stephen king yet i have a bunch of his classics but i have just not gotten around to reading them all mm -hmm. and i had had this one for a year i bought it right before i went to germany and i said let's just do this one it's stephen king he's known for horror so that can be the tie is it's a stephen king story but let's do it. And yeah, that's the spark notes. <laughs> Perfect. And so kind of tying in what we did last time with Bromance Book Club as well, I want just a one sentence. Did we like it? Did we not like it? And then we'll go into the more in-depth discussion. Okay. So my... <laughs> Oh, kept, that was a heavy sigh. <laughs> I gave Jenna a lot of thoughts ahead of time, but on these last 100 in 10 pages and a little bit before that, my mm. thoughts on it fluctuated. And I just wanna say really quickly, I don't know if we are going to split it into two episodes again, like we did with you, um, or if we're just going to keep it one episode, but we will try and leave all spoilers towards the end of the episode or until that second episode. Yeah. Um, but just letting those of you listening know there will be spoilers later on. Uh, so if we split it into two episodes, great. Uh, otherwise, I will, in the description, in the show notes, put the time that we start talking about spoilers and the time that we stop. Yeah. 
just wanted to throw that in there while Perfect. you were talking about the last hundred pages of the book. <laughs> um, my thoughts of it, the first two thirds, boring. Yeah. The last third, quite entertaining until then also the last like 20 pages. <laughs> so yeah. for me, this was disappointing. Yeah, so I knew going in that Stephen King isn't really an easy read, even if it's going to become your absolute favorite book ever. It's just, he, his books don't tend to just kind of flow easily into your mind. They're not fast reads. No. Um, and it just, it, it wasn't, which is fine. I ended up liking it, but I didn't like it a ton, you know, where it's just kind yeah. of, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't fully find myself enjoying it. Well, at no point do I feel like I really got drawn in to the book the way that my favorite thing about reading is when I just really get lost in it. I didn't find that that happened at any point in this one. This is the um, first book and it is only our third read, but this is the first book that felt like homework to me. It did. Yeah. It, it got to that point where I had to, I had to push and push. And my plan had been like during this week, I was like, okay, I have a week left to read it. I can do that. And I was not even halfway through the book at the beginning of this week. I was still within like the first third. And then each day I'm like, okay, all everything, everything off TV off phone on the table somewhere else, just focus on no the distractions. <laughs> and it was just so hard to stay in it. And so I will, uh, as we get more into it, I will say that like, I feel like a little past that 40 page prologue, which I have a lot to say about how that all tied around. That was ridiculous. Um, the it's it gripped me when it focused on who we were supposed to be focusing on mm -hmm. but then not until about a little after halfway did it start to grip me and then it just kind of wrapped up and then sure. the epilogue pissed me off <laughs> yeah i don't know i feel a little bit like and this is going to be a really weird thing to say about a book that in chapter two uh, a little boy's parents are murdered and he's kidnapped and taken to this crazy torturous place. Yep. Like crazy thing to say about this, but I feel like nothing happened in the first half of the book. Nothing happened. And I exactly think the same thing. Which was just, again, in that half of the book, his parents are brutally murdered. He is kidnapped. He is taken to this place. He's started giving, uh, or he's getting these injections uh, these tests, all of these like really terrible things, but it's somewhat torturous things. Yeah. In the book itself, it felt like nothing was happening. This, uh, yeah. I'm a pretty slow reader in general, but this book, it was kind of weird in the sense that it was a much slower read for me, not in the sense of I wasn't enjoying it. So I, I put it down and didn't pick it back up or in the sense of I wasn't understanding it maybe, so I was rereading portions. Nothing like that. I just, it would take me half an hour to read 10 pages. It just, mm -hmm. I don't know if it was because it was mm -hmm. feeling really thick or if it was because it felt slow. I'm not quite sure what like psychologically was happening in my head that was causing that, but it just, I- Same boat. My words per minute 
that I was reading was just way down. This honestly. last hundred this last 110 pages with it, I had to time myself. I, I started right at 7.30, reading the last bit of it. And then I checked my phone and it was an hour later. I had read 30 pages in an hour. And I was like, okay, now I know I will finish it before we record, but this is still but also. <laughs> awful, but that's how slow it's taking me. So what would I feel about this book that will, when I get more into my details, is it is 557 pages for you, a little bit more than that. It is over 500 pages. This concept could have easily have been a 300 page book. And I just ring back to something you said on one of our past episodes, Stephen King just likes to talk. Mm-hmm. There are paragraphs. And I wouldn't even cut it in half. If we're saying just overarching, this is a little under a 600 page book. I would say I would have vastly enjoyed it more if it was say 400. At the most, yeah, 400. No it would have been better because it's the pacing. It's the pacing of this book. And like you said, it just doesn't seem to move because mm-hmm. as the flap says, I love this concept. Kids with telepathy or telekinesis being abducted to be experimented on. It gave me X-Men vibes. The book has a moment where it references X-Men and I cheered. I was like, yay, just exactly what I thought it as would As soon be. as I read that, <laughs> you, I you. closed the book and I put it down and I was just sitting there like this, like, Dana's Dana's going to bring up the fact that they <laughs> briefly mention the X-Men. Well, because well, the thing is, it's and very... he did. I win. Because <laughs> I think it's what he intended. He wanted a kind of dark X-Men take or something is what I mm-hmm. felt with this. But the first 40 pages are this... Is this prologue about a drifter that has nothing to do with what the flap talks about. And then we get to Luke. It almost feels like, so you had said that in the check-in too. Mm -hmm. I want to give just a little bit of background on that uh, chapter. And we're not going to, this episode, go through and basically say this happens and then this happens. And then we're not going to give a full synopsis. But basically this character that you're following in this first chapter that, like you said, does feel a little bit like a prologue is he's this former uh, police officer who is on a flight to New York and a, I don't remember, is it a government official? Someone very official looking needs on the flight last minute. And the- Yeah, it's like a, it's uh, not secret. It's like a government official. It's it's who they put on planes. The the officers, they always put on planes. Oh, okay. Uh, It was like they needed Um, a seat. But anyway, and someone very important and official looking desperately needs on this flight. And so they won't leave or the flight won't take off until someone gives her their seat. And so he basically on a whim decides to get off the plane. He gets a pretty substantial chunk of cash in exchange for his uh, flight ticket. My yeah, brain it, is mush. No, yeah, it was <laughs> it, it was because they said, hey, we'll put you on the next flight paid by us. We'll mm-hmm. give you a voucher for whatever hotel you stay in and you'll be set. And so he just finally stands up and something told him to just go yeah. like, you know what? He just kind of said, why not? Like I have this sudden feeling to do this and starts hitchhiking to New York instead and yeah, he finds asked, his yeah. way to a small town. Yeah, he asks himself to reimburse the ticket instead and makes his way to this town. Yeah, and and just decides to stay there. So this first chapter itself almost feels like it is setting the book up to deal with the idea of fate. 
Like, is it fate that he ended up in this small town that, spoiler alert, obviously because we're hearing about this happening, part of the story with Luke and the children ends up in that town as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it almost seems like it is trying to raise the question of fate if it is like, was I meant to be here for this? That kind of thing. And then that never really comes back. No, because when when that drifter character does come back into the story tied to Luke and the other kids, it's at the beginning of the last third. All of a sudden the paths mm-hmm. cross and you're like, oh. when And this is when things really start happening. This yeah. is like, I don't want to say climax because it lasts almost through that last third yeah. of the book. I would say about... 100 150 pages of the very end it slows back down again yeah um so i don't want to say climax but that's when it just really starts going and starts starts feeling like things are happening it starts to move and it and you're right the whole fate thing because even then they do kind of try to they do say fate was it destiny and all that but they bring it up for like three pages and then let it go again and it's like yeah um the book isn't only told through Luke's perspective. So you're seeing his name's Tim. I'm not going to keep calling him the drifter. drifter, Tim, Tim, Um, Tim. (laughs) I'm not going to keep referring to him as that. It's so much longer than Tim. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But so you're not just getting Tim from the boy Luke's perspective. You're getting inside his head and getting his thoughts as well. Uh, But it is. It's not even three pages, I don't think. It's like a couple of paragraphs where he basically yep. says, oh, I wonder if maybe I was, um, what does he say? He compares it to chess because Luke is basically a child prodigy. He's a genius. Yep. And he plays a lot of chess throughout the book. And so obviously that is a big like metaphor in the yeah. book is this chess game. And Tim basically says, like, maybe I was supposed to be a part of Luke's chess game. I know that I'm not the king or the queen, but maybe I was a knight. And these other people were just pawns. And then that's it. (laughs) Yep. And then no more mention of the fact that he is in this place with Luke. And so with that, my my big summary of the pacing is it's like we have Tim's prologue, the, the and then we have two thirds of Luke and the other kids in the Institute being tested on. Mm-hmm. And it's just over and over again, because the, I'm going to try and stay on the whole pacing thing, but it's like all of these ideas, Stephen King had ideas, but then didn't have full thought out answers to everything. And so he kind of just tried to give a reason. And so it's like, we have all these tests and these tests don't feel important. It, it's like he tries to make a mystery behind them, but it's not a it's not a mystery I'm interested in following. I feel like the answers are kind of given to me, but there's supposed to be a bigger secret behind even those answers, and I didn't sure. care. And then the book does an exposition dump to explain everything. There is a huge exposition. Dump. I. It's basically the last <laughs> chapter is, and we're not going to go into no, detail no, no. about that quite yet, but it's basically sort of an epilogue without saying it's an epilogue it's not like two years later it's like two weeks or something but someone that you've never met before but who is a part of the institute you've just heard about spells uh, out comes and is literally like (laughs) 
this is why the institute this is why you were there this is what you were doing there this is our goal here are my life dreams like <laughs> and it and the thing so is it went, much information well because what i like about stephen king is and i've seen this in his other books is how he writes is he does like big title cards that are like sections and then chap and then there's like chapters within each those sections mm-hmm. and chapters so break. like the second portion when we finally switched to luke was called the smart kid and then yeah, there were chapters in there before it switched to something else. Yeah, and it's like 12 chapters and it always restarts on the new section to chapter one. And I really like that. And this one was, this final section was only like, th- no, it was six. It was six of those little chapters. Hmm. But the first one, this expedition expedition dump section, uh, not expedition. We are exposition. having trouble with words today. This <laughs> is going to be a fun episode to The exposition to. <laughs> section lasted like 20 pages. It was so long. And then it went to chapter two. And I was just like, it's it's lazy writing is what it was. Is I feel like this book could have had this amazing mystery, this because you want to know why they're there and what's the point. But I never I think felt- it would have been more interesting. Again, Luke is so brilliant he is so very smart this 12 year old kid is smarter than i will ever be probably like just a genius and he found out so many things while he was in the institute that he wasn't supposed to find out i think it would have been so much more interesting if instead of having this formerly unseen character come and just explain everything and basically make a bullet pointed list of all of the right reasons and justifications and everything i think it would have been so much more interesting if we had been able to see luke figuring it out and doing research once he was out and kind of putting puzzle pieces together instead of being shown the picture yeah it is it, it it really it really is almost like i don't know like luke had a crossword in front of him and like he couldn't get half of it like he had maybe he had three quarters of the crossword but he just can't figure out what these last few words are and then someone comes over with a pen fills it in for him and then brings out another crossword and fills out the whole thing for him and he's like <laughs> here you go and then and then you're just kind of left there like there it is done it is kind of like that where again i think that maybe not everything but I think most of what this character tells Luke in the end, Luke could have done some research and figured out. And there were even a couple of things where when the man said it to him, Luke was like, yeah, I kind of figured that was the case. And I'm like, when did you but, think this was the case? You yeah, never, that's you the never, thing. We never You saw never told it. us, the audience, that Luke thought and, this was the case. And I just, even, I'll say about half of the things that the man tells him, I think Luke could have done some research and figured out on his own. Well, because even um, this character, this character, and it just—it would have been so much more interesting. For right, the reader, this, I think. this character is probably the biggest part of the mystery. You hear about this character, you want to know about this character. You are—he's only... basically the evil Charlie from Charlie's Angels. Like you're, he, you're, you're... you never see him. You just hear about people referring to him, and you hear about one thing about his uh, about his his being as a person one tiny little detail and Mm -hmm. then he just drops there at the end and says well 
which I think was really interesting because it did make him very mysterious and very ominous. Like nobody at the Institute, Mrs. Sigsby, the uh, headmistress basically of the Mm -hmm. Institute doesn't know anything about him except I'll say, except that he's this man that she calls and makes reports to and that he has a lisp. That is all anyone in the (laughs) entire book knows about this man. And so it was, it made the little bit of character that he was at that point really interesting and really creepy because you knew nothing about him and then he literally shows up at the end was like hey friends let's talk about the institute (laughs) oh it was just the 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 whole book i just feel like had had wasted space had some waste in time it was repetitive because of the whole testing section like the tests were and i will say like i think the as we kind of said, it's more like sci-fi, not horror, this book. And yes, I, I don't I think feel we like... said that once we were, were recording. Right. But I would not classify this as horror at all, um, mm-hmm. which Stephen King lately, like the past few years, from what I have heard from friends that read him pretty consistently, hasn't really been writing horror as much. He's much more in sci-fi. I almost wouldn't consider this a thriller either. I would just because of the like the material and the situations but uh, there were only about two or three chapters that really like felt tense well that's what i was gonna say the 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 horror in this is some of the things that happens to the kids or things that are said to the kids Mm -hmm. because the tests are brutal and how they treat the kids it's awful these are people if i if i knew these I mean, these people exist out there in the world of how they see kids. It just, it just disgusts you. And mm-hmm. there, there was, I think one line that like, I'm, I'm not a prude whatsoever, but it, it was kind of just like, I don't think that needed to be said. And yeah. it, it, it was the, the, one of the horrible things as they make as sort of a torture for the kids, when they take the kids temperature, mm-hmm. uh, these kids are, you know, 10 to 16 years old the youngest is eight i want to say right. they take about eight to 16 year olds and they take temperatures like a pet rectally and mm-hmm. i'm like oh that's horrible but with the, all of the technology that is in that we this have place. Yeah. and the guy when luke's getting his temperature the very first day uh, or the first testing day uh the guy doing it says the line as hey just know that as long as only one of my hands is around your hips, you should not be concerned. And I was just like, Yeah, it's something Dude. about your, oh gosh, what does he say? Because he, he, says... he refers to it as a something virginity, but I, I don't remember. Right. And so I was just like, I don't think- And I... like your virginity is intact or something. Right. And, and I was like, I don't think I needed the child rape innuendo. No. At all. Like you- like, you... Even remotely. You have these people who are already being awful to these kids. I didn't need a 40-year-old man to joke that he would rape the child. That was Zeke, I think, wasn't it? So he's supposed yeah. to be pretty young. He's Or it was maybe Zeke uh, or one um, of the... I don't know. There's, there's so many caretakers but, that are assholes. Yeah, I think... That was the one time I really cringed and I was like, I don't know if I could keep going. Yeah, and that's early. <laughs> uh, strap in, folks. No, but I. Th- it was interesting because there were quite a few moments like that in the book where it seemed like Stephen King was trying to show how just plain 
evil these people were. Like there's nothing redeeming about them. They are just evil. Like later on, um, one of the other women that works there who has been just terrible throughout the entire book, the kind of head of security is asking her basically, if it comes to this, will it be possible to poison these children through the air ventilation? And she smiles and the line that describes it basically says something along the lines of, and then Gladys smiled and this time it was genuine or something like that. Right, because so, she, she's always described as putting on a fake smile for the kids. And yeah. the one time her smile is genuine, it's when she wants to murder them. So I feel like there were so many of those little moments where it was kind of like, these people are just evil. Like there's nothing good about them. And then at the end, the, the lisping man shows up and is trying to be like, but we're doing good and is trying to like- Justify it all. Justify and... all of these acts and all of these people. It's kind of like uh, going to Disney. Everybody loved Maleficent as a villain because she was just so evil. And that's what made her so just great as a villain because you loved to hate her. And then- Angelina Jolie becomes Maleficent and they give her this tragic backstory and she's actually been helping her the whole time. Like that's very much how it felt. And it was just a huge eye roll moment for me. Yeah. And so it, it was just like the, I, and we're kind of getting into like the characters now. So I will say that like, I, I love the interactions between the kids, the kids relationships with each other. That was what kind of kept me reading is mm-hmm. I loved who Luke became friends with because uh, it's Luke and the names that it mentions, George, Nick, Iris, Kalisha, and Avery, those are kind of the main like five or six. There are some others who have some standout moments or impactful moments, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the crew. And you do end up liking all of them. Nikki's the tough kid who won't <laughs> take no shit. Uh, Kalisha's kind of the calm one that Luke has a crush on. She's kind of like the cool girl right the institute uh, um jo- george is the wisecracking you know yeah Chandler. he's the class clown <laughs> smart ass which uh, was he was funny i liked I- him iris is kind of the you know the calm sensitive one um there's helen mm-hmm. who's like the punk girl yeah. and so it's it's <laughs> like a helen. it's a great breakfast club crew and you it is it's them. very much that where they each kind of fit into if they were <clears throat> excuse me they're all different ages, but like yeah. if they were all in a sixth grade class together, you would know right. exactly which archetype each one was. And then Avery, Avery's the youngest. He's he's 10, but they say he acts like he's eight, six to eight, like he has a younger mm-hmm. mindset. And he's just the innocent little kid that everyone <laughs> wants to take care of as like the baby brother. Yeah. And but he, but he may be the most powerful of them with their powers. Um, so I love those relationships. Um and as we said, you know, they just try to make all the caretakers evil minus one, uh, Maureen. Mm-hmm. And they, and it's just Stephen King hits the nail over the head over and over of like, these people are awful, bad. They deserve to go to hell. That line's thrown around so many times. Yeah. And it's just hell like- Hell is a huge thing in this book. I wouldn't yeah. say that religion is necessarily, no, but, but hell, hell is. Yeah. And, like just as a place. <laughs> and it just became- a bit much. And so like where we said, it feels like it doesn't move is that, you know, Luke keeps going through the tests, interacting with friends, going through tests, interacting with friends. And then Mm -hmm. not until one thing 
happens or switches, something big with Luke happens. And after that, the story actually is moving forward and it's not mm-hmm. till the last third. And I just found that very disappointing on such a big book that, like I said, almost felt like a, a proto X-Men epic just fell flat to me. And, and the big thing that it is, it's about kids with superpowers. I, these kids didn't even need to have superpowers. I wouldn't have noticed. I felt like it wasn't important until yeah, that last third. It wasn't third. important until the very end. And so, really. because you're wondering what is it they want the powers for? And the first time it hints at it is kind of halfway through, but what you think is a hint is actually them telling you. And you, and then you just have to wait till you see what's behind the door of what that looks like. Like they do right. tell you halfway through, this is what we're doing with them. And you're like, oh God, what does that look like? Is that going to be the horror of this book? And then you see it, you're like, it's not scary. It's just sad. And Yes, and there are some horrific things and uh, horrific moments in the book. Uh, Like Dana mentioned the uh, line with the caretaker talking to Luke while he was taking his temperature and the thing at, that was, my wrist just popped. (laughs) I need to stop talking with my hands so actively, I guess. Um, (laughs) And the thing with Gladys smiling at the end, like there are descriptions of how they're treating these children, uh, descriptions of when Luke's parents are killed, descriptions of so many things that we can get more into in a bit that are just really difficult to read. They, it, it's it, so hard to read and intake and think about. And it, it was It was as if Stephen King where he felt he needed to get detail. Because I've read books where it's like, there are books when you read it and a story moves and you're gripping because of the story and they, they don't get detailed. There are the type of authors who literally in like four pages can paint a picture, but you're not bored of that picture. Like they take mm-hmm. four pages to describe just the smell and the look of like maybe a road sign or something like that. And yeah. so author, authors who go really detailed. And I feel like Stephen King was, in, was doing both where he would do the quick writing for the story beats, but when it came to the torturous or the parts that were supposed to be the quote unquote scary, awful things, that's where he went really detailed because he thought that's what would make it more impactful. And it just kind of felt like very heavy handed. Yeah. And it just, it made it difficult to read. Um, Like the one that I'm sure we will go a little bit more into later uh, on the back cover, when Dana read that, it mentions there's front half and then there's back half. Mm-hmm. Back half is where a lot of shit really hits the fan. Like, that's where stuff really starts to happen to these kids, um, more so than just the tests. But then there's also a back half of back half, or they call it <laughs> Ward A, mm-hmm. um, where basically once these kids aren't kids anymore, they when they the only thing really left of their mind is their powers. They go here. And there was so much description of what that looks like for these kids and what the environment looks like and things like that. And just like I said, it I wouldn't count this as a horror because it didn't scare me at any point. There were no. only one or two parts where it even felt tense or uh, like I needed to keep reading to see what happened in order to kind of classify it as sci-fi thriller rather than just Mm sci-fi. Most of it is just the subject matter, but those moments like these really, 
really deep, almost unnecessary seeming descriptions were just, right. they made this book really difficult for me to read. Yeah. And, and I felt that I, I got to a moment where once I hit it and I felt that cause I was expecting dark moments like that. But mm-hmm. when I even cringed at a part, I was like, Oh no. I was like, I think Jen and I are both going to be on the same page on this one. Yeah. And, and it's just going back to the characters, like, cause that's the section we're kind of on is it's just, it's a book that I feel like had so much wasted potential with, with the story itself, but he did such a good job with the characters and their interactions and those moments. Yeah. Uh, even the villains have great moments when they're talking together because as we talked about the kids and their friendships, the two main villains you deal with are Mrs. Sigsby, the headmistress of the place and her right-hand man, Stackhouse. What a name, mm-hmm. Stackhouse. And Who he's is like- the uh, head of security we had mentioned. Right, and he's supposed to be like this hulking guy who will not take any lip or shit from a child here. And even their interactions, like even though she's older and you know, you hear he's kind of like middle-aged, you almost get this hint that there's a slight the smallest relationship there or anything and they've been working there together a long time you can right. tell and so even if there isn't any sort of like outside of work relationship mm-hmm. they are very close and he's they the share only a one lot of trust he's the only one allowed to call her by her first name julia that is mm-hmm. said and so that's what paints that picture and so you the caretakers are so many that you can't get all the names but and this will kind of also go into, because I was about to say, Stephen King really likes to make sure you know the last names of every single character. I found it funny. Well, I don't think that that was Stephen King necessarily as like wanting us to know as much as it was right. a story choice. Luke, once he, basically these tests that they're running in front half are trying to see if the kids that come in with telepathy can be tested and kind of prodded to get telekinesis to come out of them as well and kind mm-hmm. of pull that out of them and vice versa to see if the ones that come in telekinetic can, can, you, can also. You dip, can you dip your toe in both? Yeah. And so once he kind of is able to do that and is able to learn a little bit more about these caretakers and the people in the institute through that little bit of telepathy he makes sure he knows first and last names for all of them for when he goes and tries to tell his story so i think that that was more luke than it was well in that section i'd agree yes it's just in the even in the beginning when the kids introduce themselves i don't know 10 or 12 year olds that feel the need to really announce their whole name story-wise more than anything i just Um, found it weird once luke So this book is very, very difficult to talk about without talking about spoilers because things start happening at the halfway point. So I will say this and then we'll say, we'll maybe go into favorite characters and then we'll go into our big spoiler warning and go more in depth. But Luke does end up getting out and And pretty early. It's at the halfway point. halfway point. So Um, it's not really much of a spoiler because the rest of everything can't happen unless that moment happens. Right. And so, again, I think the kids all saying their first and last names, I think it was more a story choice. Again, all of these kids have been stolen away from their families and they don't know what's happened to them. They don't know if they're alive or if they're not. 
And I think partially it was the kids kind of connecting back to the family that they might not have anymore. Um, but then partially once, I almost said Nick, once Luke is out, he is able to say, I have first and last names of these kids. Yeah. I know that my parents are dead. If you look them up and their parents are also dead, this is enough to start an investigation. I guess I can get behind that 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 reason behind the it. story forward <laughs> it's just it was really weird in the first beginning because i'm like kids don't really care to give other kids their last name and so it felt really weird um i i guess this kind of just ties to my thought of if you got this feeling because we kind of talked about something like this in our previous reads the kids luke it's explained because he's a genius sounds older because he's smart mm-hmm. all the other kids felt like adults in the way that they talked, in the way that they acted, even some of yeah. the younger ones. And it felt like Stephen King's writing is a little outdated. It just felt like maybe he doesn't know how kids talk anymore. Right. Because it is modern so, because he does reference Trump being president in this book. So we yes. know it's modern day. There are pop culture references and things. Yeah. But yeah, the kids, we'll just put Luke aside because he is very much a special case. And I could see a child like Luke yeah, it's, talking it makes, in the way that he does. It makes sense for Luke. Um, but kind of just putting him to the side for a second, the kids didn't really talk about or didn't really talk like real kids today. And I think almost more than anything, it seemed a little bit like that forced nostalgia, like if you're watching something like um, in the 90s, you were watching that 70s show. Right. Where in the 90s, the 70s were really big. Uh, and so they were using all of the 70s lingo. It, obviously, that's not quite the same with this book, but it seems like maybe his mindset when he was writing was that. Well, cause I- because a lot of the, what am I trying to say? <laughs> Catchphrases isn't the right word. What am I trying to say? <laughs> pop culture references no uh slang a lot of the slang yes, yes. that the kids use is really outdated mm-hmm. and things that again Avery is eight years old and I think Kalisha and Nick are the oldest and I want to say they're 13 like I think Nick is are, 16 I know Henry Harry whatever Harry. his name was Harry was I know he was 16 and he was older than Nick so maybe okay. Nick was 14 15 but either way like these are words and phrases that these kids would not know in context. Like if I went up to a 10 year old today and said groovy, they would look at me like I sprouted the <laughs> third eye. Like, and I can't, I didn't write down any specific examples, but there I wrote was down a two. lot of that. I wrote down two that was word choice that even I was like, I've never heard of this. Um, like one that was obvious was covers like on a bed, he called coverlet. And they kept referencing as like night nightstands next to the bed as bureaus, and I had never heard of that. Bureaus is definitely an old person word. And I was like, um. kids don't say this. <laughs> I was like, this is not a kid's word. But I want to see if I can find them. But there were. It almost seemed like maybe he. I don't know much about Stephen King's life, like Mm-mm. outside of writing. If he has kids that were maybe born in the '90s or something, I don't really know anything about him but it kind of seemed like maybe the most recent interaction he had had with actual human children was in the nineties. Right. And that was the experience he was writing from. 
Yeah. Um, and so it just felt very odd because all these kids felt like adults. And I was like, mm, I was like, that's how my dad has told me he and his friends would talk when they were younger, but that's yeah. not how kids today talk. Um, and even as you said, the pop culture references, some of the pop culture references these kids make, I was like, I don't even know what that show is. How would you know what the show is? And I was like, there's no way that a kid found this anywhere, knew this show and referenced it. So it just that yeah. it, after it was probably maybe the first third, I had to get used to that that writing style and that language because I was like, okay, obviously he doesn't know how modern, modern kids talk. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to have to accept that somehow these kids have a very strong language. Like this, I can't find any of the slang. I know that there were a couple. I just yeah, didn't yeah. write any down. But there were a couple that were very outdated. But like they're talking about uh candies and things that they can get at the institute as treats and partially it's they have access to whatever the institute has so maybe it's the adults picking but george one of the characters is dreamily talking about cracker jacks and ho-hos yep. which just like those are not things that kids cracker eat anymore <laughs> really? cracker jacks i had as a rarity as a kid I think I've had Cracker Jacks once in my right. life and I got them from a Hollywood video <laughs> when I was renting DVDs and VHS yes, tapes. They were always at Blockbuster. <laughs> That's where I would get them. So just things like that. It seems like maybe he is not hip with the kids or no. whatever the youths are saying these days. Even I'm not, I couldn't write a book about kids right. these days, really. No, no, no. And, and, <laughs> and that's the thing is it's like, I can't like, I don't want to make it seem like we're harsh in this book. It's just, it's that there's a lot of things that just don't add up and make it flow well. And it's all these different things. Cause like I said, the last third, when things start moving, I actually really enjoyed that last third. That's mm -hmm. what helped me finish it so fast was the story got moving. There was some action in it and yeah. the, you know, and the two paths crossed the Tim, the drifter at the beginning finally came into play. And I feel like even he could have been a more mystery thing. Cause he's a guy that Luke's not sure if he can trust him, mm -hmm. but then he kind of trusts him really right off the bat after like a page or two. Yeah. And so I feel like that, kid, I feel like that wasn't the least believable thing for me. No, but I feel like yeah. that could have even been a little bit more of a, like building the anxiety and the, the desperation and all that. It could have added a little more to the weight with Luke in that moment, but mm -hmm. I could tell that Stephen King realized he needed to kind of wrap things up and get things moving. So it was just kind of like, all right, we got to yeah. go, go, go. So he was like, Oh gosh, I can't have a thousand page book. No. Um, um so favorite really character. quickly, yeah, I, that's where I was going to go. <laughs> Let's say uh, who our favorite character was and just a quick why, and then we'll give our spoiler warning and go into yeah. kind of the meat of that last half to a third. Um, favorite character, I, I will have to say, it was just Luke at first because it's the only character I could, you know, he's the main character. Yeah, he's I mean, you're inclined to be more attached to the main he's character. the only one we really follow but in that last third avery grew from that annoying little boy who needed a big brother big sister to a strong hero and yes. so i will say that because luke is the character we follow the most but avery i felt had the biggest impact near the end of the story they're kind of even but I just loved kind of that jump Avery took. Mm -hmm. He suddenly became wiser at eight years old, wiser and smarter and more powerful and became kind of the person who's like, we're gonna do this, we're gonna get out of this. Yeah. And I'm gonna take the charge. Avery was my favorite character too. He's the yeah. one that I wrote down. 
Because even um, when he's... And it's kind of, he starts almost like a piglet character where he's like the little one. He Absolutely. wants to be a part of things. He's so excited to be a part of all of it with his friends. When he gets he, bullied, he's always crying as the first reaction and very, very timid. And he, yeah, I mean, like you said earlier, he is 10, but his room at the Institute to match his room at home is covered in like SpongeBob and Nickelodeon posters. Yeah. Um, G.I. Joe's on the desk. G.I. Joe's, yeah. And so he just maybe because of his powers hasn't. Uh, mentally matured quite as much as the other kids his age that you might expect at that age and so he is a little bit of kind of this piglet character where he and Luke is the Winnie the Pooh where he's kind of following Luke along he sleeps in his room a lot of the time uh, he wants to be a part of things he wants to help Luke as much as he can but he kind of needs that direction and then once Luke leaves Avery steps up and almost becomes the Christopher Robin. Like he's in charge at that yep. point. Yep. Just he decides because um, I think you had mentioned earlier, Avery coming into the Institute before any of the tests or anything, his powers are stronger than any of the other kids. Mm -hmm. And so I think once Luke leaves and he's on his own, he kind of realizes that and is like, oh no, wait. I can be in charge. I can help us do things that we need to be able to do. And so he kind of steps up and I just, I really enjoyed him. I liked yeah, him my, a lot. My favorite moment, uh, I, I, I'll say because it's like we said, we know that Luke leaves, but it's, you know, Avery was kind of, kind of helped in that and was a part mm -hmm. of the plan to get Luke out. And so he's kind of interrogated and there's a horrible torture happening to Avery, this young kid, but Avery stays strong and you would think that no this kid's gonna break and then that's how the story is gonna move forward but this kid hey. if you've read a book or seen a movie ever you know that they have to find luke right, right? or be on his trail somehow yeah and Just so because otherwise the story will not move forward at all <laughs> and so it easily sets up that avery will just crack because he's so fragile but mm -hmm. he doesn't and i was like Avery and so yeah. and so that was the turn and the switch where I was like all right Luke you need to step it up Avery's whooping you as my favorite character right now and yeah. so and, and Avery's just sweet I loved the because even even when some characters that we love start to move to back half and start to leave the scene um you know they say watch over Avery he's gonna need that and Luke becomes the big brother to him and they have actually some sweet moments like Avery mm -hmm. sleeps in his bed with him and Luke's like annoyed by it but eventually loves the company and yeah. you just those two as a set are great their relationship I think was the strongest part of the book and that's what kind of kept it is because then it eventually became Luke Avery Luke Avery uh, following the two characters and it became yeah. back and forth like okay because luke's gone we follow him okay but back at the institute avery and i mm -hmm. that's when it picked up and i felt this and i feel like if just stephen king had realized that earlier on and had that dynamic it it could have been so much better in its whole 557 page run yeah. uh but it just felt like a lot of it was wasted time to get to that with like i said the repetitive tests luke keeps going through tests and it seems like nothing's happening with those tests and then mm. finally when he bonds with avery i'm like here is <laughs> content <laughs> <laughs> and then i will save my favorite scene for once we're in our 
spoiler portion just mm-hmm. because it is basically one of the parts of the very end. And so I will go ahead and say our spoiler warning is officially in effect. Yay. So if any of you are going to check out because of so, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're deciding to go in because maybe what we've said before has turned you off from the book and you don't care, <laughs> so or you keep on listening. Or that too. So I'd say, are we on the same page about this? Yeah. We're both just iffy with it. It was... So overall, would you recommend it? And if so, who would you recommend it to? I don't know if I could just because, like I said, there are great highs, mm-hmm. but I just feel like the, the, the highs weren't enough for it. I feel like the highs get weighed down by the padding and the yeah. rest of it. So I couldn't recommend it. If you're a normal Stephen King fan who reads everything he's got to read, sure, go ahead, You know, add it to your library. You probably have already read it or planning to read it anyway. Yeah. But as someone who wants a good engrossing kind of like dark story, this isn't it. I'm kind of the same boat, maybe just a little bit to one side. I would say, obviously, like you said, if you are a huge Stephen King fan, you've probably already read it, but if you haven't, go for it. It is, for the most part, a pretty compelling story. It's just pretty slow. So just kind of prepare yourself for a bit of a long read. I would say if, I think that if you are someone that pretty consistently reads pretty thick fantasy, like you are really used to kind of long-winded, for lack of a better term, that's not necessarily the kindest term, but that's all I can really think of to describe it right now, Um, but kind of long-winded story building, uh, setting building, and then character building. A lot of background in some places and setting a lot of the scenes, really descriptive parts. If you pretty consistently read fantasy, you would be pretty used to a lot of that in my experience with fantasy. Uh, So if you're looking for just some darker material, this might be a great book for you. Uh, But I think that if you go into this kind of, not to speak for you, but kind of like you did, if I'm correct and correct me if I'm wrong, if you go into this expecting this is going to be like a scary movie, but on pages, I think that this might not be the perfect book for you. And like I said, I don't remember which episode it was, one of the recent episodes, not every book is going to be for every person. And there are books that I really don't like that are very highly reviewed on Goodreads or on Amazon and vice versa. There are books that have an average of about two or three stars that I just really loved. So if the story just sounds really enticing to you, please read it. We're not telling you that you shouldn't. Uh, But these are our thoughts and maybe would I tell my friends who like true crime to read it? Maybe not. It's much more of a sci-fi read than it is a horror or even a thriller to me. I would say, I mean, look, like we said, we looked at the online reviews. Majority of people seem to like it. So maybe just for us, it wasn't our cup of tea. Yeah. Maybe maybe we're the outliers. So and like I said, it's possible that this is just telling me Stephen King is not my guy. Mm-hmm. And that is 
totally okay. And so that, you know, might be part of it is I just don't really mesh well with his writing style or something. Just like with people, maybe you go to a party and meet 10 people, four or five of them you won't really get along with. It's the same thing with books and with authors. It's possible that maybe I just don't get along with him and his writing style. So yeah, if it sounds interesting, I say go for it. Just prepare for a bit of a long read. But if you're not already drawn into it, I would say maybe it's not the read for you. Yeah. So with that, yeah, we're on the same page of it just being kind of an iffy book for us. But yeah, Yeah. so... You want to tell them where they can find us? I sure will. Let's wrap us up. You can email us anytime at the same page pod at gmail.com. Again, that'll be in the description in case you don't know how to spell anything, but it is just the name of the podcast for the most part. So should be pretty self-explanatory. If you have any books you think we should read for the podcast, any questions, collaboration requests, or if you've read any of our upcoming reads, like once we announce our November read, if you've read it uh, and have questions or discussion topics that you would like us to include, go ahead, leave us a comment, send us an email. We'd really like for you guys to be a part of our discussions with us, if at all possible. And then if you want to reach out to me specifically, you can find me on my blog, which hosts all of my full reviews, my tours, anything that I do collaborating with authors and publishers, couldn't think of the word, uh, at tacklingtbr.home.blog and as well on Instagram at tackling underscore TBR. And then as for the podcast, you can find and connect with us on Instagram at the same page podcast, on Twitter at the same page pod, and can find us also on Facebook and YouTube just by searching the same page podcast. And then as always, the last thing I'm going to say is if you are listening to our show and you like what you hear, please consider heading to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening to us. If it's on YouTube, or maybe if by the time you're listening to this, Amazon Music is working, wherever you're listening to it, and subscribing, giving us a positive rating, and leaving your thoughts in a review. It's a process. It really only takes a couple of minutes, but it really means the world to small shows like us and helps us get introduced to more bookish folks. Yeah, and so we're Stephen King, The Institute, very interesting read. We're very excited to announce our November book come our next yes. check-in with a extra surprise with that announcement as well. <laughs> we'll so leave it. make sure to keep an eye on our Instagram just in case we announce it early. We might for this one mm-hmm. just because it's kind of a special uh, book discussion episode. Mm-hmm. But either way, that check-in episode will go live November 15th. And then December, we will hopefully be our first month of trying to do two books. October didn't go so well because this was a little bit of a long read, but I am officially mm-hmm. going to be starting two books for November. So if I get yes. that done, prepare so for more episodes. send any uh, well wishes for fast reading <laughs> or also threats uh, to <laughs> our Instagram. Again, that is at the same page podcast. And I will make sure he sees them. <laughs> Even though I run the the Instagram, I don't know why I'm saying that. Send them anyway. I will screenshot them and send them to Dana to encourage him to read many a books. (laughs) All right. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.